Thank you, Alex. Amen. It's been a while since we've been together on a Sunday night for teaching. We've had a lot of fun things going on, though, a lot of ministry things, so I'm grateful for that and for the season. But it's good to be back, too, into a regular routine. If you would, turn to Revelation chapter 17 in your copy of God's Word. And I have a praise. Uh, had a call yesterday from my brother about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They'd taken my mom to the hospital with chest pains. They thought that she'd had a heart attack. And, and so in talking with him, he was quite upset. And uh, I tried to encourage him. Not all chest pains are heart attacks. And, uh, but Lord and I prayed about it. And then maybe an hour and a half later, they did determine that they did an angiogram. And they determined that she had not had a heart attack. That her uh, pressure was from something else. And so they're determining that now. She's still in Tucson Medical Center. But I talked to her again today on the phone feeling much better than she did yesterday, so for that we give the Lord praise. And in fact, they found out that she's completely clear, her arteries are clear, everything's in good shape. So, so we're grateful to be able to find that out, even though it was kind of a stressful way to find that out. Uh, Revelation chapter 17. Last time we were together, uh, we uh, began chapter 17, and uh, 17 and 18, those chapters are very important. Because they go back and they fill in some gaps for us in the second half of the tribulation. And just as we've seen all throughout the book, from time to time, chapters have been used to help John fill in the gaps. And here, in particular, John gets to see how these last judgments affect the Antichrist and the world system. And some of the things that will go on during those final years and months of the tribulation time. And chapter 17 talks about religion during the tribulation. And there will be a false church, because the real church, of course, is called the bride. The false church is called the harlot or the prostitute, and we saw that last time. I'd like you to look in Revelation 17, verse 1. It means this is kind of a continuous teaching. We'll just kind of back up there and work into our new time, that time of our new portions of the Scripture. And look at verse 1 of chapter 17, if you would. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now remember, waters or seas or oceans in prophetic literature many times refer to Gentile nations, to tribes, to tongues, to the world in general. And we're going to see that that's indeed what he's speaking of here. But it's here where... Uh, Remember, the the beast came out of the sea, too. So, chapter 13, verse 1. So, she has quite a following. And let's look at verse 2. So, talking about this this false church, a great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And just in general, over the course of the time the earth has been here, there have always been false religions, false Uh, false worship of idols, false worship of things that were created. And all kings and kingdoms and those under those kingdoms have participated. So in general, we get a history lesson, plus we get to look forward into the tribulation where we will have really the manifestation of the harlot of harlots, of the great false church, which has always existed. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit more detail in a moment, but let's continue to read the text. With whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. In other words, they worship this falseness. Those are always called acts of immorality. Uh, It always refers to, in in kind of a sexual nature, uh, the falseness and betrayal of men to worship God in pure form. 
and uh, the Lord uses those types of language. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Very attractive, uh, all the things that have occurred. <clears throat> Verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And John gets to be uh, moved to kind of have some things explained to him. He's overwhelmed with this vision. He gets carried away uh, in the spirit to a wilderness. He's going to be able to understand some things. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, she is writing the world system, the system of man, led by the Antichrist. And he's going to explain this further to John in just a moment, so we won't uh, comment on it too much. Verse 4. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Uh, in other words, she is unbelievably rich, and many of the false churches have been and still are. Uh, this church is beautiful to behold. She's not ugly. On the outside, she looks nice. Uh, people will be deceived by the millions by this false church and have been, but in particular in the tribulation time, they will be deceived by the millions. And man was made to worship, wasn't he? We were, made, we were created to worship, and the Antichrist will provide that outlet uh, in this false church. Let's continue. Verse 4, she has uh, precious stones, gold, and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of the abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. There's nothing, in other words, there's nothing that she will not or has not done. Uh, she drinks out of that cup. That's the cup that is her preference. All these immoralities, all this falseness. In other words, she's not true to the Lord. She's not true to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Her cup is full of abomination. Now, in comparison, just in general, remember what the comments about the 144,000 that were on the, on the earth during that time. They were true to the Lord. They followed him everywhere that he went. Everywhere he went, there was no immorality found in them. But this false church, we see many things describing her as, uh, as uh, having all this immorality, all these things that she does that are false against the Lord. Verse 5, And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Now, every time we see this in the New Testament, we realize this is something that was once hidden, but that is now what? Revealed. So, up until this point, no one knew, but now they know. Okay, the mystery, and this is very interesting because there's always been false churches, and the mystery of that false church is now being revealed. The summation of all the false religion, the, all the false worship, all the false churches throughout all of history now is filled up here in the tribulation time. Here's the mystery written on the forehead. Babylon the Great, the mother, and this really refers to all that we've just talked about, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So this false church here really is the summation of all that's occurred before. Uh, the mother of all those things is this false church. Of all the world's religions, this one is the worst. And I told you last time she would have to do a lot to exceed the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church fits many of these bills. Very rich, uh, very wealthy, very beautiful, but full of all kinds of abomination. But there, are many, uh, there have been many false churches, false religions. The Catholic Church as well fits that category. Now, verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. So, in other words, she has slaughtered without mercy believers by the untold millions. She has slaughtered the 144,000, in particular here during the tribulation, and she has reveled in that. That has been something she delighted in. Verse 6, When I saw her, John says, I wondered greatly. John has curiosity and he has fear and it's mixed with great amazement 
at this huge thing, the false church, how powerful, how connected, how wicked, how much wealth is there. This false religion is just huge and he's just overwhelmed and has some questions. And it's really beyond John's scope, his faculty to understand, as I think it would be for us, even if we were able to see the under, underneath all the false religions, even some of those that are existing today, and understand some of the great abominations that have occurred, I think we'd be overwhelmed. But here John is seeing the mother of all of those, the summation of all the falseness, of all the false religions. John gets to see this, and this church will exist in the tribulation time. And John gets to see it, and he's a little overwhelmed. It says it sits on the beast. The false church, in other words, rides on the back of the Antichrist. The beast is the Antichrist. Remember our players here in the end times. The Antichrist is the political leader, and this false church exists together with this world system initially during this first part of the tribulation time. And it's just so awful, and it's so opposite of what the church was supposed to be that John is overwhelmed. Now, because he is, this is a great moment for the angel to come along. Now look at verse 7 of chapter 17, and that's exactly what happens. The angel comes, Revelation 17, 7. Uh, the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast and the and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Uh, the angel confor uh, confirms that they exist together. And uh, remember the seven heads. We've seen that before. Successive world kingdoms. You can copy that down in your notes if you'd like. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the Antichrist. Those are those kingdoms that are referred to here. And they're going to be explained even more clearly in just a moment. The angel is very exhaustive in his teaching for John, so he understands what he's seeing. Give you a chance to copy that down. Remember, the ten horns have to do with power. We've seen that already. Anytime we see horns in the scripture, it is referring to power. They represent ten military rulers. Ten military rulers. You can go to the next one, William, if you'd like. Ten horns have to do with power. Represent ten military rulers. And perhaps the world will be divided into ten zones with military kings over them. We don't know, but he's going to explain a little bit more clearly in a moment exactly what's going to occur. Still future, still looking for this to be fulfilled in the tribulation time. But look at verse 8 as the angel continues to explain. gets more and more specific. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Now that sounds vaguely familiar, does it not? That sounds like a description of the Lord, does it not? Who was and is and is to come. Now this should not surprise you because this is the counterfeit of the Lord, isn't it? This is the counterfeit of Christ. This is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And so all these things mimic or mock, better word, uh, what actually is the truth about the Lord and His, uh, His Son, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. All right? But we saw this in chapter 13, 3. We'll go through little by little here and, and explain these passages. But in Revelation 13, 3, uh, it says we see that, I saw on the heads as if one had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And this refers to a time, again, when the Antichrist was killed and had a false resurrection. Here in chapter 17, we're referring back to it again. Remember, the angel's filling in the details 
of the second half of the tribulation time, adding some detail for John so he knows what's going on with the Antichrist, he knows what's going on with the world system, he knows, begins to know what's going on with the false church, and so he's filling in all these details, but back in Revelation 13.3, we had that snapshot that the Antichrist, one of his heads, one of the heads of these uh, rulers had been slain and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And here we see some other details about that time period, okay? So you're with me. Chapter 17, verse 8 is explaining that that we saw earlier. He was mortally wounded. He went into the abyss. Now, and this is very important because this kind of mimics what uh, and mocks what we know about Christ. Christ went to see his, his father. Christ was killed. He went to see his father. He'll come back for an eternal kingdom. The Antichrist here, it says, and, and we see in chapter 17 some more detail. He was wounded. His head uh, was wounded. He was killed. He went to see his father. And who's that? That's Satan. That's right. He went to see his father, and he will come back to a temporary kingdom, uh, followed by destruction, and that is the word for ruin. It's a real, actual place. Uh, we understand where he's going to be true, and once he goes there, we're going to see in the future uh, that Lake of Fire, he will still be alive a thousand years later at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. So he's going to go down, he's going to see Satan, he's going to come back up, he's going to be inhabited by Satan himself, and he is going to rule that last three years of the tribulation with that power. And then he's going to go to his ruin, to the lake of fire. Now, he fools people into worshiping him, but only those, it says, who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, there's lots we could say about that. And once again, the implied, of course, uh, that the Lord is sovereign over all salvation. And we understand that to be true. And here again, we see it even it implied that the Lord has known all those who would come to faith from the foundation of the world. But only the unsaved of the earth will be fooled. Only those whose name are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So the, the redeemed on the earth during the tribulation time will not be fooled by this death of the Antichrist and this false resurrection of the Antichrist. They'll not be fooled by it. But those who are not born again during that time of the tribulation will be fooled and taken in uh, because of this deception. And that's quite a statement about God's plan for salvation there, just in a snapshot, that even during this time, those who've come to faith during this time, at the teaching of the 144,000, or at the teaching of the two witnesses, uh, or just by reading into the, uh, understanding the word and seeing this all take place around them during this seven-year time, and come to faith, the Lord is gracious, and they will not be deceived by this Antichrist dying and rising. Now look at verse 9. I love this. Here is the mind which has wisdom. And the angel is explaining this. And he's saying, listen, uh, this, we're looking into God's mind now. We're seeing all his plan working out. This is a marvelous thing. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. It's in a metaphorical sense, but we know what he's talking about. Okay, seven kingdoms uh, on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now look at verse 11. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth and is one of the seventh, and he goes to destruction. Let's stop right there. Now that sounds a little bit like a complicated passage, like the old sketch of who's on first, right? A little bit. But really, if we keep track of the players here, of who we're talking about, it's really not that complicated. If we remain consistent in our understanding of who's there, the Antichrist is the pinnacle of all the worldly kingdoms, correct? He is also the beast. We understand that to be the case. All right? He's the pinnacle of all the worldly kingdoms. The spirit of the false church, just like the spirit of the Antichrist, has always existed in the world. 
Just it finds its completion, its wholeness, if you will, if we can use that word, during the tribulation. False, false leaders, false Christs, false church, all find their completion, all find their, their uh, most manifest time during this tribulation time. The spirit of the false church existed in idol worship all through the ages, and Israel was always referred to in terms of harlotry whenever they worshipped idols. We understand that language. So this is not foreign to us. It's the same with the world. The spirit of the Antichrist has always existed in rebellion. 1 John 2.22, we understand that to be the case. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Who's the Antichrist? In general, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That's always existed in the world, hasn't it? But in the tribulation, it'll take on a form of a man. He will be the pinnacle of those who deny Jesus is the Christ. 1 John 4, 3. Here's another definition of what's always been in the world. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've heard that is coming, and John says, is now already in the world. So the rebellious heart, the rebellious spirit, those who do not confess Jesus, they're not from God, see? And that's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's always been. There's always been people who deny Christ. There's always been people who turned away from the Lord. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. But the person of the Antichrist still remains to be revealed. So when it says, here's the mind which has wisdom, let's go back to verse 8, or 9 rather, here's the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Stop right there. The spirit of the false church, worship of something other than the true God, always existed in each of the world's kingdoms. So here's this false church. She's setting on these seven kingdoms, right? She's always been around. So the seven kingdoms that have existed with kings have always had the spirit of the false church with them. Not to the extent that we're going to see it in the tribulation, not with the organization, not with the power, and not with all the things she's going to do, but the spirit of the false church has always been. So that's why it says, here's the mind that has wisdom. Think about this. In all the seven kingdoms that have existed in the world, there's always been the spirit of the false church. In all these seven kingdoms, there's always been the false Christ, the spirit of that false Christ. But when we get to the tribulation, the manifestation of those very things are going to be. Okay? So here's the spirit that has, here's the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sets. False church has always been around in the world. Okay? And they are, and, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen. And what five have fallen during John's time? This is, once again, uh, not, uh, it doesn't sum up the, the argument that everything here in Revelation is still future, but it certainly is a nice, uh, a, a nice feather to help you understand that this is the truth. These things are still future. So what five have fallen? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Those things, those kingdoms have all gone, right? During John's time. So John's getting the vision. He's in the church age, just like you and I are. We haven't changed ages from John's time to our time. Uh, when John lived in the first century, when he's writing this, he's in the church age. We're still in the church age. And so during John's time, what kingdoms have existed and gone? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Those kingdoms have gone. And that's exactly what it says. There are seven kings, five have fallen. False church has been in those five already. It's going to be in the one that is. And who is the one that is during John's time? That's Rome, Right? So, we just keep the players in line. We don't have a problem with, with this uh, passage. The one that is, is Rome for John. See? Rome is still around. 
This is the one in existence during John's time. It's an excellent argument for the book as still future, as still predictive prophecy. And the other has not yet come because we're in the church age. During John's time and during our time, uh, the Antichrist kingdom hasn't come yet, has it? We're still waiting for that kingdom. That's future still. We're still looking for that seven-year time when the Antichrist kingdom will be. All right? And we've already had bits and pieces of this information beginning in chapter 13. But the angel is here with John. And he's filling in the missing information. He's helping John to understand more about what's going on in the second half of the tribulation. And he's setting John's mind at ease. Don't worry about this, John. John's overwhelmed. He sees this huge church. He's wondering what's going on. And the angel helps by cleaning up some of these issues. Now, let's back up to verse 10, if you would. Look there in your copy. They are seven kings, five have fallen. We know which ones those are. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is, that's Rome, because that's there with John. And Rome, of course, has now passed into non-existence for us. We don't exist in Rome anymore. And the other has not yet come. We exist in the church age. We're waiting for the beginning of that last, that final kingdom. And then the eighth kingdom. And we're going to explain that in just a minute. So it says, There are seven kings, five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Verse 11. The beast which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes into destruction. All right, let's explain that section, okay? The Antichrist is going to come in the first half of the tribulation, and he's going to set up the seventh kingdom, isn't he? That's what's going to happen in those seven years. The first half of that tribulation, the Antichrist is going to come. We read about this earlier in the book. He's going to set up that seventh kingdom. And that's what's going to happen to him. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be killed. That's the false uh, death and the resurrection, right? He's inhabited by Satan. So he has the seventh kingdom, then he's going to be killed. He goes into the abyss. He comes back out. Who's he inhabited by? Satan himself. Now you're in the last half of the tribulation time. Okay? He comes back. That's the false resurrection. He's already inhabited by Satan. And he's going to be doing... Satan's going to just be acting right straight through him. And that, beloved, is counted as the eighth kingdom. You see? The seventh kingdom starts. First half of the tribulation. Get to halfway point. Antichrist is killed. He's resurrected. He's part of the seventh. And he's also the... Eighth, the final kingdom before Christ comes in his glorious appearing and sets up his rule in Jerusalem. So that's a marvelous thing to think about. Okay, So we can keep that clear, just keep the players in place so the, it's not that complicated when we realize he's already explained a lot of this in chapter 13. We already understand the things that are supposed to happen. The angel just comes in and fills in some more details. This is what the church looks like. This is what the church will be doing. But remember, have wisdom, he says. The church has always existed the woman has always sat on these seven kingdoms. She's always, the false church has always been around. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist has always been around. It's just in the tribulation time, they'll be really manifest as they really have always been, but in really one single unit. And we're going to see that very clearly. Those who are on the earth will see that very clearly when it comes. And so after he's completed this very short but awful rule there at the last part of the tribulation, he goes to ruin at Jesus Christ's glorious return. Okay? Now, let you copy some of that down. Perhaps you've done that already as I've gone back. Now, the angel has some more clarification for John. And so, in verse 12, he tells him a few more things to help him understand some of the things that are going on. And the angel says this, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Once again, predictive prophecy. We haven't seen this yet, have we? Because this occurs in the tribulation time. We're not there. The ten horns which you 
saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. In John's time, they haven't received it. In our time, they still haven't received it. We're waiting for that to occur. But they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour or for a short period of time. Now, let's explain that a little bit. During the very short reign of that eighth kingdom, when the Antichrist has come back in his resurrected state and fooled all those who are not redeemed, it appears it will be divided, the world, in that point, into ten regions. The only reason why we know this is because that's what it says right here. It says that during that time, during that last half of the tribulation, the world is going to be divided into ten regions somehow. The Lord's working out His plan. Okay, It's not important, I think, that we identify, okay, what ten regions are those? And many, and many, many books written about what ten regions those will be and when we'll see them happen and all those things. And I don't think that's the point for us at this point. Just that we know during this very short eighth reign of the resurrected Antichrist, there's, the world is going to be divided into ten sections with ten rulers. They haven't, have they received their kingdoms yet? No. They're not, they haven't received their kingdoms. As far as we know, uh, that's not happened. And that's not going to happen uh, because we're waiting for the tribulation for that to happen. Once again, an excellent point of uh, this is still predictive prophecy. Ten men will rule uh, with the Antichrist for one purpose. And what is it? Look at verse 13. The world's going to be divided into ten regions. Verse 13. These have one purpose. Here it is. They give their power and authority to the beast. So you see this transition, and we'll get back to the last part in just a minute. Okay? You see this transition of power. The Antichrist comes on the heels of the rapture. The world is in disarray and disorder. Uh, many, many people are gone from the world. It's a prime time. Economies are all messed up. You know, beloved, and I said this before, a couple years ago, when we went into the first went into that financial crisis and had a stock market crash and the world markets around the, the, the world were having a difficult time, I, th I think that the Lord allowed us to see a little bit of that. Um, just perhaps the very hem of the garment of what's going to be in store for the world at, at the time of the rapture. When you see world markets collapsing and you see countries that are going bankrupt and you see banks being bought up uh, and all these types of things and people are very uncertain and, and we don't know what's going to happen... That's the, type of, that's the type of scenario, at least in my mind, that will be part of uh, the, really the fabric of the world at the time following the, the rapture. Just people are gone, you know, huge holes everywhere, for the people who filled these things, very, a huge uncertain time, a time where someone, a man of false peace that we saw right at the beginning of our study, could come in and start uh, setting things straight. Uh, no, uh, you know, if you have currency that's not worth anything, you have people in anarchy, you have a perfect opportunity for things to be Settled, And we see how a man of false peace initially will come and then bring war and those kind of things to start to get these things straightened out. But we see this transition of power, we see this first rule of the Antichrist, the seventh kingdom, and then he's killed. So he's starting organizing the world and he's killed, okay? And then he's resurrected, a false resurrection. The second half, the world is divided into ten regions. Ten kings will be set up over those regions and we're going to see they have one purpose. And this is the purpose, verse 13. They give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, these will wage war against whom? The Lamb. See, we're working right into the Battle of Armageddon, are we not? We're moving right into things we've already seen. Now the angel has come, and he's kind of filled in some gaps. He's told us how this all will occur, how, why the, all these kingdoms will come, and what their, uh, their purpose is. The Lord is working out his own uh, plan through all of this. and We're going to see that in just a minute. They give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, these will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them. This kingdom ushers in the battle of Armageddon and then the glorious appearing of our Master. And beloved, He wins. 
And it says in verse 13, or 14 rather, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called the chosen and the faithful. And guess who that is? Isn't Isn't that awesome? That's your name. I don't feel like that, do you? But that's the name you get. After you lose this sinful body and you're at home with the Lord and you get to come with him and you're chosen, you're called the chosen and the faithful. Now, something's going to happen. we just got a few more minutes. So something's going to happen to the false church before the glorious appearing of Jesus. And let's look and see what it is. And the angel's still filling in some gaps here. Okay, he's explained these kingdoms. He's explained the seventh kingdom. He's explained the eighth kingdom. He's explained how the false church has always existed in all these kingdoms, these successive kingdoms. We still wait for the seventh and eighth kingdom to come and be revealed. And verse 15, now he's going to take in the false church. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now he's explained the hills, didn't he? He explained those were seven kingdoms. False church has always been there, but he said that the waters which the harlot sits are people. And we said that before, didn't we? And that is very consistent in prophetic literature. Waters or the, or the sea really many times refer to the nations. And so we see that here. In fact, Psalm says, why do the nations roar like the waves? That, that uh, re- reference is very common in the scripture. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Let's stop right there. Just imagine then the scenario multi-millions of people who are taken in by the false church, and I imagine at its inception, it's always existed in some minor form, but at its inception, at the beginning of the tribulation, it'll probably be an ecumenical gathering. Those who remain, because those who are true believers are where? They've been caught up to be with the Lord. So those that remain were not born again. They're just part of uh, these different religions, false religions. I imagine it's going to be some type of ecumenical gathering which will celebrate the loss of these narrow-minded, bigoted uh, believers who you know, have always said there's only one way, and that's Jesus. So now we're, we're free of them. Now we can actually get some stuff done. right? We don't have to worry about these argumentative, narrow-minded people who are always pointing just to Jesus, just to Jesus. So they're all gone. An ecumenical gathering combining bits of every false religion. But the Antichrist is going to be very jealous. Uh, the counterfeit of the true God, of course, who, who is jealous for worship and also worthy of worship. The Antichrist is going to be jealous too. He's not worthy of worship, but he's going to demand it. And the Antichrist will be jealous. No more Buddha, no more Allah, you know, no more spirit life force, no more of that. Uh, how do we know that? Well, we saw that back in chapter 13, uh, right? We saw what would happen, that the false prophet would come and he would convince everyone that the Antichrist is God and that he should be worshipped. But verse 16 here says, uh, the, uh, the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these are these ten kingdoms, second half of the tribulation time, ten kingdoms and the beast, these will hate or they'll be jealous uh, and the harlot will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. They used her to gather the people, to unite them under one ecumenical you know, uh, umbrella of just uh, we're going to worship uh, but we don't know who we worship. Uh, They are going to expose her for what she really is, false. And the Antichrist is consumed by his own power. So finally he just devours the harlot, just gets rid of this false church, and he just gobbles it up and he takes all the power and the wealth and the beauty for himself. And when we saw the false prophet set up the image of the Antichrist back in chapter 13, remember when we looked at that? And then he made it do signs and wonders so that people would, uh, if they were not believers, would be deceived. Uh, That's when that all occurred. The false church was destroyed. And even though this is the final hour of the coup here, beloved, even though this is the final hour of all the rebellion, 
They have never been outside the control of the Lord. They are doing His will up to the very moment of the glorious appearing. How do I know that? Look at verse 17. Final hour of the rebellion. False church is gone. The Antichrist gets his worship. And he set up this false kingdom, this short eighth kingdom uh, that has as its end his destruction. Verse 17. They're still not out from under the Lord's hand as he directs the whole thing. For God, it says, has put it in their hearts to execute his purposes by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdoms to the beast and to the words of God will be fulfilled. Doesn't that make you feel great? Even in all that horror, and you can imagine people who come to faith during the tribulation time reading that, what comfort is that going to bring to someone who is going through the difficult times that will be there? Even in all of that, they see the ten, perhaps they're still alive during that second half. They see the ten kingdoms all divided up, the Antichrist taking worship for himself, and the ten kingdoms being united into the destruction of the Lamb. And they read these words, For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose. They think they're doing their own purpose. They're going to march on Jerusalem to destroy those who are there and to wage war against the Lamb and and against the children. But uh, having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Verse 18, The woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Everything has been consolidated and Babylon is the center of life and worship and the Antichrist inhabited by Satan rules it all. And the angels filled that all in for John. And chapter 18, which will start next week, is going to fill up for us the economic system at the end of the tribulation time. We see the religious system. We're going to see what these types of judgments have, how they impact the economic system. And uh, that last series of judgments on commerce, it's going to throw the world into a totally disrupted state. And even the most simple things will not be able to be done. So the angel's going to fill that in for John and help him understand how these last judgments will impact the uh, economic system of the world. And we'll look at that next time. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer, if you would. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you today for, again, for a time, a rich time in your word, a sweet time, a time where we can see you just reveal your marvelous plan. But chapter 17 is so sweet to our ears, Father. And even today, when difficult times arise and we are, have some question about uh, what's going to happen to us, Lord, we can take the long view of history and understand that you will always work out your plan according to your own perfect will, and even when things look terrible, you will accomplish everything about your word, and it will all be fulfilled. And many times you'll use wicked men in their own devices who think that they're guiding their own thoughts, but you have never let them out of your power. Your control is still there. And even at the pinnacle of the coup against you, and the rebellion against you and your son, the Jews and the offspring of the Jews, you will accomplish your purpose. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the knowledge of the redeemed. We're grateful to be among those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And Father, I pray that we'll be about the simple jobs you've given us until we see your Son. To be a faithful witness, to worship, to be a servant of yours until we see you. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.